G'day guys and welcome to Talking Luft. I'm Mitch Stocker. We're back. Life on the Peloton is back. If you did not hear the episode last week, you got to go across and listen to that one. The Rat to Radelaide. That was a trip I did from Ballarat across to Adelaide for the Tour Down Under. Radelaide. What an amazing trip. I'm getting into my bikepacking and this one I did with the crew. We documented that. Go back and listen to that one. It's a long episode, but it's the first one and it's a cracker. I've had some great feedback on the ground in Adelaide. I got to speak to so many people about the trip and they got to listen to the pod. So it was great to hear their feedback, what they thought about that trip. Now we're here with Talking Loft, the first one of the year, and I've got something a little bit different for you this week. As you know, the podcast this year is being brought to you by our partner, Rafa, and I was this week just down in Adelaide recording live podcasts over at the Rafa pop-up. It's a new mini-series for Life of the Peloton called The Communique, The Race Communique. Ton Sullum, the director sportif of EF Easy Boat, and a good friend of mine join me each day as we recapped the stage live from the Rafa pop-up. It was a lot of fun. I had a great time doing it, interacting with the crowd, having a few cold beers, of course, and I had some special guests along the way, none other than the legend, the voice of cycling, Phil Liggett. He popped along one night. We had a good old friend of mine, Matt Goss, come along too. And at the end of the week, we had my old teammates, Yen Kukulair, and Sam Bewley join as well. So there's a whole cast of people there. It's a really fun sort of recap. And I thought, well, why don't we kick off Talking Wolf with this? I know it's not exactly Talking Wolf, but it's still got that fun vibe to it. And I just want you guys to sort of feel what was going on there in Adelaide because I had such a good time there. And these were really, really fun recording them. So if you saw the race and you want to know what happened inside the race, this is going to be a great recap for you. If you didn't know anything about Tour Down Under, you're going to get a full recap of the race, which happened just last week. There's not much else to say, guys. Sit back and enjoy the first installment of Talking Luft, the race communique. We've got the voice of cycling, the legendary voice of cycling, Phil Liggett. He's come down tonight to just do a little bit of quick little chat with us before we start talking about the communique, the stage, what happens, but you can't turn down talking to Phil Liggett. Well, I can't anyway, because I love talking to him. Phil, how have you done every single Tour de France since 1973? How's it even possible without any interruptions, 50 years in a row, calling the Tour de France? Can you believe it? Well, because I'm bloody old now, I suppose that's the answer, but... uh... I remember going to the first one, which was in 1973. I was asked to go for the guy who was the TV commentator for ITV in the UK. And he said, hey, we're doing the tour on TV from site next year. I want you to be my driver. Are you interested? He said, I can't pay you. So I'm in. So uh, that was in 73. Five years later, sadly, uh, David was killed in a car crash after Paris-Nice when I took the car back to him. And uh, TV offered me the job. And the reason I took it, because they said it was for David. And so I became a TV commentator and uh, there was no interviews. And the amazing thing is, to this day, all those years ago, 1978 was my first TV coverage on the tour, five years in. I've never actually asked for a job in television. Everybody's just rang me and I'm so happy they have. Tell me about... Something maybe not everyone understands, but as a commentator, especially with the Tour de France, not all cycling fanatics are watching the Tour de France. It's a big group audience. You know, my mum watches it, my grandma watches it, and so on and so forth. So actually, you've got to actually paint the picture of 
the race. You've got to tell the story. You've got to engage them. It's something that I learned from you, listening to you after speaking with you, and I listened a bit more and understood what you were doing. Tell me a little bit about how that happens and in the commentary box and how you think about that. It was something I always did. I mean, you know, I'm passionate about the sports and the people who take part in it. And you learn a lot about the private lives as well. But the first thing, when I asked Paul Sherwin to work with me, 86, I think it was, and uh, Paul had no training as a journalist to even, uh, or certainly not as a commentator, but he had the same mentality as me. We lived 12 miles apart, but 12 years difference in our ages as well. And so I didn't actually race against Paul. And so I only met him really on the Tour de France as a cyclist. But same mentality. We come from the area around Liverpool. And we're always taking the piss out of each other. And we continue to do so for the next 33 years. And I said to Paul, I said, look, your target is to stop the old lady leaving the room until the commercial break. If you succeed in doing that, you scored because it means everybody else is watching us too. I said, we're going to go on the big heyday of the tour. We work with just about everybody who spoke English on TV. We had 150 million viewers. You're not telling me you've got anything like 150 million cyclists watching the show. So the object was, if the cyclists don't like us, which is the vast majority, they just turn off the sound. They'll still enjoy the Tour de France, but we didn't want them. We wanted the other people who knew nothing about bikes. What about now? Because I feel like, well, I certainly felt it in my short stint in the peloton of, you know, just over 10 years, the peloton really changed. Um, the racing changed, the way it was in the peloton, it was much more pressure. What about from your side as a commentator? And I've, I've spoken with Rupert Guinness just recently. He was telling me some amazing stories about the journalism when he first went across um, in the 80s, just walking into the rooms of the riders, doing an interview and so on. What about you? That connection to the riders is very important to tell the story. When you're talking about, you know, Mitch Stocker riding up, you know, some mountain, you can say, oh, I was in the lift with him, I heard this, he's, you know, a bit sick or whatever. You get little bits of stories. I feel like now we're so separated. That transition of, the, of cycling, how much has it changed? Big time. And exactly that, what you just said about being in the lift with him, that's exactly what I said on television today. I was in the lift with Corbin Strong, the youngster from New Zealand, last night after the time trial. He looked a bit wet and bedraggled. And I said, you did a good ride. He goes, yeah. What a big conversationalist. He's got talent. Uh, because go back a week, I was talking with um, Daryl Impey, who's his team captain. And Daryl's won this race twice. I said, Daryl, are you going to go for a third win here because you're retiring at the end of the year? This is a private conversation. He says, no, I'm going to help him win. Corbin Strong, this kid, 23 years of age, I think he is. I said, well, and I've never heard of him and he's never ridden here before. And he was confident. And he's been sprinting all day, swiping time bonuses. He's right up there in the overall. So Daryl was not bullshitting me. And I know Daryl off camera because we go to South Africa together. I thought he was trying to bluff me to think he wanted this young kid to win the tour down under. But really, Daryl Limpy was going for number three. And I said on television, I think Daryl was telling me the truth. I think he wants this young kid to win. This young kid's full of talent. But that's right. We only get that sort of connection on a race like the tour down under now. Because now the Tour de France is so big. We have a little chat when we arrive at the beginning of the tour, see a few bike riders. When the tour starts, as soon as that first day finishes, within minutes I'm in a car and the guy's driving me 200 kilometres to the finish of tomorrow's stage. 
just time for a late dinner, down to the start line for nine o'clock, talk to the brief for the uh, for the script of what we're putting into the show, do the commentary, guys cross the line, back to the car, and on we go. And that's like the whole tour. So we don't see the guys anymore. We have reporters who send us the interviews and all that, but we don't speak to them. And I remember, even in the old days, I remember Robbie McCune in the start of a time trial, which is always the penultimate day of the tour. Robbie, just, just in the time trial, got of his bike saw me, he said, hey, you're on the whole tour? I said, you cheeky shot, yes. He said, well, I haven't seen you since, since we started. I said, well, I haven't been near you since you started. And that's, uh, that's the way the world is unfolding, I think. It's a shame. But here, this great here, I get all the stories here. I've been talking about Mitch on the tour this year, I can see it. I get all the stories here because I talk to the riders all the time. This is going to be a really difficult one, but some, some of the greatest moments that you've called, um, you know, personally for me, that centenary Tour de France 2003, Jan versus Lance, there were some great moments in that, you know, the plastic bag moment. Lance is dancing up the climb. I think it was stage 15. Gets caught in the plastic bag and Jan waits for him. Lance going across the paddock, cyclocross style, and calling that. But also, let's go back like Lauren Fignon, Greg LeMond, 1989, finishing on the on the Champs-Élysées. There's there's thousands upon thousands. Do you have one that sticks in your mind? You just you loved calling it. Well, the one you talked with Lance particularly, he was racing down into Gap with Balocchi, and it was a very hot day, and I'd. Well, I was separated at the time. I was, which is very unusual. Paul was working, I think, for the World Service, and I'd been cut out to the Americans only. And I was saying just how dangerous this descent was down to Gap because it was so hot. I said, the stars melting. I said, this could be really serious. But I wasn't envisaging what happened. As you know, Sheba Balocchi came around the corner and crashed and broke his legs, all sorts of problems. Lance immediately dies for the easy way out. The road goes on down, down the bottom, and like that. Lance just turned left and went across the field, saw the big ditch, got off his bike, jumped across, got back on, carried on with the leaders. Because I just said, well, Lance can get disqualified for that. He wasn't following the correct course. A little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'd like to see a commissaire with the, with the ability to do that, but he certainly had the rules on his side. And, and then Lance says, you know, he didn't win the stage, but he went on to win the tour, and then the rest is history, of course. Um, that's always stuck in my mind. And I liked Bellocchi, but he finished his career. He tried to come back and he couldn't do it. The Tour de France has got a million heroic stories, but you just got to find them and, and make them work. Everyone here knows Mick Molloy, and I've heard this story. You've got this ability, he's, he's got the art of, the, of conversation. He's able to just talk to anyone, but he's also got the art of commentary and it just be able to, your voice, you can commentate anything and it's interesting. And there's this amazing, I think it was from maybe the Commonwealth game. Where was it from? It was from the uh, Whistler... Uh, Winter Olympics, if this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, and yeah. he was getting pretty I'm annoyed, actually. So you read the whole of my bloody life. I remember all these things. Though in Whistler, I was doing downhill skiing. And the producer said to me, we want you to commentate on whatever Mick does. Because, you know, Mick's a bit of a comedian. He's a bloody nice guy, too. But I didn't know him at that time very well. So Mick was uh, in a coffee shop, a, a fast food restaurant, in the centre of the square in Whistler, which is a fabulous ski town in the mountains. And he's eating with his fingers and very sloppily his hamburger and chips, putting tomato sauce down his face and stuff. And I walk up with the camera crew behind and start to commentate. Look at that left hand going for the speed to that chip. He's missed his mouth. Now it's in. 
It's in, it's all right, he's in and out. Goodness knows where he's throwing that tomato sauce. And Mick just ignores me being there. Gets the paper out. Oh, he's reading the paper now. He's put tomato sauce thumbprint all over the paper. The next reader, that's going to be very pleasing, Mick. And he's he's moving, he's going to the toilet. Look at that. Look at the speed over the ground and Mick Malloy. When he's gone to that portaloo, door closes. He shouts out something like, I'm fed up with you now. I say, he's a very polite man. He's really enjoying uh, his part in the Winter Olympics. And this goes on for quite a long time. And it was shown on national TV and it got quite a few good raps too. But the outwards were, which they had to get the lawyers to clear. He gradually said, look at that now. He's going to his car. Doors open. He's getting in. Winds the window down and says, Phil, now you're giving me the shits. And I, my outwards were, what a lovely chap. I remember to this day and he drove off into the sunset and it was really, really popular. I've got one last thing for you, and I don't know if you're willing to do this, but I got this idea. This is my dream scenario. Paris-Roubaix is my favorite race. And I thought, what if I roll into Paris-Roubaix a kilometer to go with Tom Boonen and Luke Durbridge? And I would love, I don't know if you're able to do it, love you to call the last kilometer. As far as that, well, that's only one minute and 10 seconds. Yeah, I know. Do we do want to do the last two kilometers? Maybe I go away. I'm going to stretch it now. You'd be on Jacob, would you? Green Edge. Well, let's just say, let's just say I'm on EF, and oh, oh yes, Dur- that's where you finished EF. Yeah, yeah and Durbo's on Jayco, and well, Boonen he's on Quickstep, I guess. Okay, coming in last K. Phil, I'll let you uh, take it away. Last kilometer. Well, I have to say, this has been yet another great Queen of the Classics. We've done 256. We're a little bit surprised, I've got to be honest, that Mitch Docker has made this leading group. And over the cobblestones, Tam Brown, of course, has always been the master, the queen of the classic. It's the Easter classic. It's um, been a particularly muddy day today. In fact, it's so muddy, I'm not too sure I can recognise that guy. It's Mitch Docker. Right, tucked in there. This reminds me of when uh, Sudo Grady came from nowhere after his puncture and won the stage. But this can't happen again. That only happens once in your lifetime. Docker is moved right up behind now, Boner. And they're heading down towards the Rubey Velodrome. Remember that once they're down this final kilometre at the easy colourful stones, which are really only for decoration, we turn into the stadium. We'll pause for the tears of the crowd. And Docker is perfectly posed. Oh, he's posed as well, Bonnie. Uh, as we come out to the stage, we can all the smell. It's now a lap and a half. Let's get massive about real much. As we get around that banking, it's the final run-up to Gareth Duck and Seth Brunner. It's absolutely coming here. This Australian suddenly is back when the medical battery are pretty good in the next 200 metres. Well, the band has got high on the track and my man has to come down that side. Brian has no which way to look. Talker's now. Talker, just run right on your bay. Oh boy, that was 3,500 pounds, Mitch, no problem. That is just as good as winning it. It felt real. So I want to bring Tom Southern up because he is the sports director of EF. He's come down, he's got to get back to the hotel at some point. So let's, let's get him up and let's talk about this stage. What I wanted to do tonight, with this is sort of the first one of just reviewing the stage. We're going to review the stage every day. And what I thought would be really interesting is starting off with a weather report. That's something, as a, as a DS, you want to know the riders, what happened, what was the weather doing, what was the wind doing. So let's just start off, first of all, 
What was happening? What did you tell the riders today? What was the weather doing? Uh, I've been telling the riders since, I think, December that it's going to be a really cold down under, and it was. Low temperatures, 22, 24, and very windy, blustery. And we were out in the valley there with uh, not much cover, so there was good chance of crosswinds, which, as you'll know yourself, puts a little bit of fear in your heart. So it's just enough to be uncomfortable today. Not a, uh, yeah, not a nice weather day. Well, seeing as Sol was going to do a weather report, I thought I should do a pub review. I'm going to go to a different pub every day and watch the race. So today, I went downtown to the Metropolitan Hotel on Grote Street, just right opposite the market. And I thought, how am I going to score these pubs? I thought, we're in Adelaide. We're going to do the Coopers test. What's the lineup? Do they have all eight Coopers on tap? And I can officially say yes. An amazing selection, all eight. The next thing was, do they have race vision? Is it on TV? They didn't have it on TV, but when I requested it, they put it on, so check. A true pub test in Adelaide is, do they have a butcher, a butcher's size beer? Which is, what I found out today, is a small beer, originally named because, because of the butchers used to go across to the pub. They didn't have time to drink a whole pint back in the day. So they invented a glass their size, which is called now butchers, which they had. Do they have salt and vinegar chips? They did. And does it have a local legend? And what I mean by that is that one person that sits at the bar when you walk in and they're just there reading the paper, always there. And they did. So this got full marks. The Metropolitan Hotel has started a good, great experience at the pub. Who was the local legend? I didn't speak to them. I should, I should do that. Yeah, yeah. I think we feel, I feel like we need some info on the local legends, mate. Well, look, Phil, maybe you can help us because I was going to do a little race recap of today just in case anyone, anyone didn't see it. Maybe I'll talk about the stage in terms of the technical stuff and you can tell us what happened in the race. Stage one, 149.9 kilometres, three laps of 27 kilometres around Tanunda, four times over the Menglers Hill at 4.5 kilometres at 3%. There was 1,700 metres of climbing today, two Category 4 climbs. They went over the Menglers Hill the first lap and on the third lap, yeah. And there was two sprints today as well. Five times up and only two counted for the king of the mountains. Exactly. And then... Yeah. And then you were watching television and I thought it was three. Don't mind. You can take it from here because I saw Luke Platt was the first guy to attack when the flag dropped. Yep. The breakaway had a solo rider with um, the AG2R Citron rider, um, Nans Peters. Gap went out to about five minutes. Yeah. Unfortunately, we had two abandons today. Paddy Bevan, who crashed again after Same the criterium, and also we saw... Yeah, I couldn't attain. Did he crash during the day today? No, he I just abandoned. Oh, right. Injuries, wasn't it? It was badly written on the communicator. I didn't see him crash, but I heard him retire. So I have to say, I like Pat Bevan. And he has such rotten luck. He crashed in the tour down under... I think he broke his collarbone when he was race leader and couldn't finish the race. That's, that's what tough. Very tough. We also saw Robert Guessing, he's a bit of a, yeah. a, a bunch favourite in the peloton, a really nice guy, yeah, much so. um, an older guy. So, And you were telling me just before over here, he crashed on his hip. I forgot about this. He had a plate in his hip, he didn't he? a plate in his hip, yes. And the, so the, the doctor, Mark Fisher, is a fantastic guy. He's been helping me with the ribs. I went to the same hospital as Guessing, but I went uh, about four days ago, walked in, Everybody's told all the surgeons saying, Hi, Phil, good to see you. What about my bloody ribs? Uh, and we finally got some pictures taken after they'd taken the pictures of me and them. And then I said, Well, what about the ribs? And they said, Oh, you've done a real good job. You've got four broken. I said, Well, thanks very much. And that was it. That was a bit on the side. But Hessink, um, 
He's with his family as well, which is very sad because he loves South Australia. He's been here a little while. He's been doing his training while his, his family's been enjoying themselves. And I think it's very sad that he's come out on the first full road race day now, does whatever he does. But he has a steel plate in a previous hip injury and they just want to make sure he hasn't moved when he fell. But he actually fell first on his hip and then a nasty swing on his head on the road. So very unfortunate. The crash wasn't his fault. You could see that on television. Yeah, no one wants to crash in the first race of the year or no, first day of the year, do they? There was a lot of crashes. 25 guys, different guys fell down today. Mainly EF, the Australian team, and Israel chased a little bit as well. Tommy sent the boys straight on the front, didn't you? Absolutely. I mean, race leader, what are you going to do? Make yeah. a statement? Start the year as you mean to go on, Mitch? 56k to go, Peters was brought back into the peloton. Um, just pushed over that, let's move on. <laughs> highly contested intermediates today, and... Michael Matthews, um, Jaco Alula, Corbin Strong, and also Ethan Hayter. Those guys were really finding it out, like proper bunch sprints almost. And also Alberto, he was floating around as well. Unfortunately, he couldn't get any seconds. I was quite impressed about those intermediate sprints today. They were fast. Um, and once they went over the, the climb the final time, you could see from the laps before that descent, and Tom can tell us a bit more about this, but it looked like it was really crosswindy and it was fast straight to the finish. Even though the bunch was side to side, every I was trying to I was telling a guy I was at the hotel with, um, they were doing 450, 500 watts on the front. You wouldn't think that, but guys were just peeling. It was fast into the finish, wasn't it? I mean, it was extremely difficult on the downhill. It doesn't ever really come across when the bunch is all the way across the road on TV. But it's actually it's exactly like Durbo said that the, the hardest time in cycling now isn't when it's in a line. It's when everybody's bunched up. It's because everybody's fighting, fighting, fighting. And we saw that the first time, and I, I knew the guys would be riding, so I said, the first time we do it before anybody's seen it, squeeze as hard as you can just to hurt everybody in the back because we might as well do it while we can. And then from then on, you could see that everybody was ready. And when you have a circuit and you repeat and you keep seeing the same thing, everybody knows what's going to happen, which stops anything happening. And it stops it looking exciting, but it's actually the hardest part of racing now. But they went down to that corner, the left hand, to approach the finishing straight. Uh, we had them clocked at just on 90 kilometres an hour. I'm glad the brace worked. But, uh, and then, of course, soon after they straightened up, we had the crash near the finish as well. But we should congratulate Tom for being the director sportive of the leader for the last two days. And we should be pretty happy, Tom. Yeah, it's great, yeah. Comes every day. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's fantastic. And you have to, it's not the rider we expected to be in the lead. Not at all. Uh, uh, so, I mean, Alberto's, well, been, Alberto's been here for 10 days and he's been going to the beach every day and he's been going to restaurants. And he's he had a beer here the other day. He had a beer here the other day. What are you like, saying? He's Italian. That's all you're saying. You know, just yeah. Italian. And he's like, no, no, Tom, don't worry, don't worry. It's going to be fine. Everything's okay. It's January. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, yeah, now you've got the race leader's jersey. You need to start being yeah. serious. So, step by step, we're going to get there. Of course, I'll mention all this tomorrow on TV. Very kind of you, Tom. Not the beers, Bill. Not the beers, please. <laughs> To finish it off, the stage was it was an amazing lead out, I thought, by Jayco. They did a really good job. And Campbell Stewart, he really did a good lead out for Michael Matthews. I think Michael waited a little bit too long before he started sprinting. And ultimately, we saw Phil Bauhaus take out the, the victory. Caleb Bulm was second, Michael Matthews third. A pretty tough sprint. I think a really nice opening stage. What did you guys think? I thought it was a very dangerous sprint. They're bumping up by Jim. What do you make, Caleb Bulm? Clearly the fastest man in the field. He gives them all a 20-length start and he loses by a centimetre. Wouldn't you think it'd be more common sense to finish nearer the line? No. I mean, I, I, I do often say this in meetings, Phil. It's like, let's try and cross the line first at the end. 
crossing the line first is a good tactic. The challenge, isn't it? Yeah. If that's where Kaylee falls flat, yeah, he's second. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could have a word and he could address that. But I think, I think Caleb is without his own. He's without the team that he normally works with. He is, and it's it's very very difficult to even with the team that you work with all year round to nail these finishes because everybody wants to do the same thing that you're doing, and everybody wants to be in the same place, and everybody has roughly the same plan. So to come here with like a, a young Australian team and try and be helping them learn to work for him today very well, I thought. I mean, they did a, they did a great job and they committed, but he's trying to win while he's trying to help people to do yeah. something to learn something which is extremely difficult. So losing by a centimetre, you could cut him some slack, I reckon. Phil. He was flying. No, certainly not, no. I think when he sees it, he's going to say, oh, because I've seen him lose Tour de France stages the same way. But he's so fast and he could make up 20 lengths in 20 yards. In 50 metres, he only started sprinting with 50 metres to go. And that's when he made up all that speed. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So it makes more sense. Maybe he's been born in Ireland, I don't know. What about your day, Tom? Tell us, run us through your day, leader's jersey, Obviously, a good position in the car. How was your day? It's pretty cool to be car number one because, firstly, you can actually see the race. Um, most of the time, in you know, if you're car 15, you've got no idea what's going on. But today, for example, you you know, you're right there, um, and the boys really committed today, and they wanted to get up and make a statement and ride the front. And it's hard to ride the front, but guys really want to do it, especially guys like Lucas and Tom Scully, who that's their bread and butter. That's what they can do as riders. So finally, they're like, thank God we can show ourselves. And uh, your man Wozniewski, he rode superbly today. He's also been on the beach a lot. Well, that's right. So the moral is, if you, before you start the tour down on, have a few days on the beach. It's, it, it pays off. All right, I've got a question for both of you. The ride of the day. I'll go first because I want to get mine in. I think the ride of the day for me has to be Michael Matthews today because the way that he took those intermediates on, and like I said before, they were full bunch sprints and then still be able to be up there at the end. You can't in underestimate how much that takes out of you. That's what Tour Down Under is now. I thought the ride of the day was him, even though he didn't win the Sage. I think he, he, did a, he did a good job today. I can't argue with that. I love Michael too, and he's a fabulous bike rider. And he wants to win this race for his new sponsors because Jaco Alula, if he win, keeps winning, it could be worth a fortune. Uh, that's not why he's doing it. The man of the day was obviously Nance Peters. He's an aggressive young cyclist, but he's not that young anymore. Let's be honest, it was a bloody boring race today. Uh, one rider in front all race, his team blocking off at the back, and then we all fall off halfway through, and then the race is done. So it, there'll be better days on the Santos Tour down under. However, he got the result he wanted, but if it's a ride of the day, it's Peter's, because he stuck his head out and he rode superbly. I like the way the team worked. Nothing against the team, as you know, Tom. I know Jonathan Waters, if I'm against you, ring me up. But I do like the, the way the team raced him. Actually, you're obviously talking to Jonathan. Are you? You must be pretty stoked. Are you? <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> I mean, I have spoken to him in the past, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, right. Uh, uh, no. Winging you up and saying, what the hell's Betty all doing winning? I actually ask people not to ring me up. <laughs> But the race is oh, very good. Well, I haven't got your number, so you said. No, no. I mean, the the teams, the teams are late. The teams super happy. I mean, for me, it should be the rider of the day. Would like my my rider was Lucas Wisniewski, who rode. Yeah, uh, let's say 130 of the 150 k's on the front. Controlled the brake, slowed it down when we needed to slow it down, sped it up when we needed to speed it up. 
How do you find this guy? Where do you find him? Uh, uh, where does he come from? Poland. Uh, he lives in Poland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, Poland, Miami, Monaco. Uh, anywhere there's a beach, really. A beach, yeah. Yeah. All right, the next question is, I've, I've renamed it Nuff Nuff Move of the Day. So the person who did the Nuffy move could be someone, could be a situation. And mine was, it's a, it's a silly one, but it was the crashes. It was just so hectic. That was like the Nuff move of the day. Like everyone seemed nervous. No one was, knew what was going on. The first race of the year, already crashing. My Nuff Nuff move of the day was UAE and Visma because if they didn't want Michael Matthews to take a lot of time for the GC, they should have put someone down the road. Michael Vink went down the road and sat up early on. We fully expected there to be a three or four or five man group. So anybody who has a climber in the race who wants to not let Michael Matthews have a huge lead should have sent someone down the road today and they just didn't do it. And I was like, well, I can't pull on the front and put someone in the right way. You know, it's like, so I feel like teams really just rolled over a little bit on that today, which didn't make sense to me. Phil, do you understand the question? No. But it's very, it's, it's, it's pretty much the idiot move of the day. Yeah, it's, I was trying to find another word. Yeah, well, I understood that bit. Right. No, the question is for the, 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 the answer is easy if we're talking about my commentary team. Because the enough, enough move of the day was when <laughs> Robin McEwen suddenly steps up alongside me, goes out the commentary box, he's gone for a beat. Just when we're doing a crucial part of the race. So that was the enough of move. Yeah, nice. I like it. That's a real enough, enough move. He left me with Anamias and we were able to carry him through. But um, we have a great comments team, actually. We're having some fun. All right, guys. This is the official communique. Last night we had a real treat with Phil Liggett. Um, and tonight we're going to actually get to talk to Tom one-on-one, which I think is great as well because he was in the car today with, if you don't know him already, this is Tom Southern. He's director sportif of EF Easy Post. My old team. Yep, your old boss, Mitch. You missing me? Big time. Big time. On the climbs? Just uh, afterwards, afterwards for the beer. But we can still recreate that now. <laughs> you had a really good idea last night. How about you give us a bit of a DS briefing, what you gave the riders before the stage, and everyone can understand what the riders get into and a little bit about the stage. Take it away, mate. Yeah, so I mean, every day I start off with uh, basically, you know, we have a map up, we have a picture and run through one of the fundamental things, which is always going to be the weather. Today, it was really, really, really important, the wind. It was mostly a headwind. So we had like a that huge expressway went all the way down there with a block headwind. But then at kilometer 50, we knew that we would have a side wind across the, the, the tops there of Selix Hill, which was probably the key point of the race. So that was super important. And then also the run in to the next climb was where it was open. So we look for the parts of the race that are open, the way that the wind's going to affect it. The wind is like, I've never seen a tour down under with this much wind where it's actually coming to play like this. Also such low temperatures. It's really a different tour down under and trying to kind of go through all those things with the riders before the start, the stage, how it was going to be. We thought it would come down to a 30 rider or 20 rider sprint with the crosswinds and then the climb but like always it doesn't quite work <laughs> work out well let's get to the more important stuff the pub review last time we're down the metro and i gave that a solid 10 out of 10 because if you weren't here last night i'll run you through the the actual protocol today we got down to the golden what the golden model which is on Peerius Street, right in the centre of town, right in the city. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it was a pub until I got there. Cooper's score, 
How many out of the eight did it have? It had six. Unfortunately, it fell too short. No vintage, no stout, but still pretty solid. Race vision, check. True pub test. Did it have any butchers? It did. Salt and vinegar chips? They didn't, but the owner assured me he was just out of stock, but they had cheesels. So they get sort of a half point for that. And did it have a local legend? At the time, no, but he rolled in late in a suit, drinking VBs in his corner. That is his spot, and he was there. So after all that, I had it at a six, and it gained a few points later in the day, and I pulled it up to an eight. Solid pub. Get in there. Great afternoon watching the race. Should we do the race recap? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get it over with. Come on. Let's do it. All right. Stage two, if you didn't see it or you don't know what happened because you are out riding or whatever, was Brighton to Victor Harbour, 155k, the longest stage of this year's Tour Down Under. We passed through Victor Harbour with 40k to go and did another lap. 2,000 metres of climbing. There was a Category 2 climb at Pawara Hill, a 3k climb at 7%, and there was a Category 1 climb, Nettle Hill, 2k at 8%. That was about 10k to go, 12k to go. 20. 20, sorry. 20k to go. That's why I'm a DS, Mitch. <laughs> there were two sprint preems. Is that correct? That's correct. Good. The breakaway went away. Two riders, Manuel Barraro from Astana, a good friend of mine. <laughs> That's a guy you had a fight and lift with. <laughs> exactly. A guy I had fisty cuffs with a couple of years ago. Johan Jacobs from Movistar. Those two guys went away and our team EF jumped on the front with Bahrain. They started rolling. But at 100k to go... There was a split in the crosswind and 50 riders made the front. UAE, UAE put in the crosswind. It was quite a windy day. Caleb missed the front, a guy that I picked for today's stage. 88k to go. Those two riders were back in the peloton, so there was no breakaway, like really early. As the two punches came back together, Astana went on the attack again with Dmitry Gusev. He went away solo. But there was a lot of pressure for those intermediates, so at 60k to go, Dmitry was back in the bunch and there was actually no pressure in the, in the bunch. It was really side to side let's just fast forward 22k to go michael matthews drops his chain no one waits for him the race just goes jay vine attacks yates goes with him rowan dennis jai hinley go across and moro schmidt he goes over the top of nettle hill they get a 15 second gap and at the time i was sitting with matt in the pub i said mate that's going to the line he said no way mate i said yeah mate it is and it did they all went all the way to the line and we saw rowan dennis do a surprise attack over the top of Jai Hindley, my favourite. I wanted him to win, and he got the stage. So that was more or less what happened today. Yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was an interesting stage. The headwind played a huge part in, in the way that it went today. It was, it was really strong wind. Um, I mean, nobody attacked for the first... We did, I think we did 24 kilometres in the first hour down the expressway. So it was going really, really slowly. And all of a sudden had this really key moment where we went over the climb and it was like we said it was going to be open i mean these days everybody has the same information um but it was an interesting crosswind because the guys who are normally good at crosswinds aren't good at climbs mm. and it was the crosswind started at the top of the climb so that's why uae could start it um some good riders missed that because visma rode really hard in the group behind i think rowan might have even missed it um i'm not 100 percent certain in the car we don't have that much information but then you know, coming into the final, the climb was quite a narrow road and where Michael had his problem was just the worst, mm. worst possible um, place to have an issue. He, he was stopped. I mean, I, I was car one and they were car two, but we didn't get to him for like 30, 40 seconds. And then there's riders everywhere and he had to come back. Durbo came back for him. But they did the right thing. Yates went straight on the attack because it's like, OK, this 
it's not going to work with Michael now. We have to do it with, uh, with, with Yates. So that was a good move. I don't think they took as much time as they would have liked at the end because the bunch started coming back to them mm. pretty rapidly. But yeah, I, 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 think it was a, I think it was a good stage and it was one, we thought we'd broken by the winds and then be a sprint, but it was actually won by a break on the climb. So like good racing. I really enjoyed being down the start today and interviewing the riders and just feeling, feeling the rush, wheels in motion. I've only been on the other side of the fence at the biggest race of the year, the tour, not to, to boast, but coming here is way better because Caleb today, he, he didn't want to get an interview from me, but ultimately I was at the side of his window and I just opened the window, Caleb, and he's like trying to look face and he looked, oh, damn it. But how was your day, mate? Run me through your day. It was quite a stressful day for the team. Um, you were riding on the front, but then later on, you know, you had some problems. How'd the day go for you? I mean, it went from really good to really kind of shit, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> um, it, th things were going fine. It's a different kind of stress to have a leader's jersey in a race. You have to really think about things a lot more because it's on you to dictate what happens. The riders were responding really well to that, and it was going good. We were hoping to lose the jersey to Matthews today by maybe a second or two to put Jaco in the position tomorrow to be under attack. As it happens, um, Alberto made the first split, went over the climb, and then on like a two kilometer tiny little ramp, he basically cramped and got a little bit upset, expressed himself as Italians do, and then... Uh, I saw some Chippo come out at him. I haven't seen a bottle, th bottle <laughs> throw for years. Yeah, uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen it until, I still haven't seen it, because um, we, we don't have the TV in the car at these races. Um, but it's been, a, it's, uh, it's been mentioned to me once or twice since the finish, so. Let's move on to rider, rider of the day. Uh, I'm gonna go with Mauro Schmidt, because if you look at everybody else in the break, home sort of ground advantage, w where's he come from? Like basically from nowhere, oh, just to pop up and uh, be up there with the best, put himself up to fourth on GC. Nobody, I don't think anybody would have seen that coming. And when the move went, it was, it was only like top, top quality riders. I mean, you've got Yates, Hindley, Dennis, and then he pops up there. So I think he was a bit busy in the in the in the Schwalbe crit, crit. Now I think about it, so he could be a he could be a factor later in the race as well. So I'd, I mean, he didn't win, but I give it to him. Yeah, I don't think Rider of the Day always has to win. That's a really good call. Unfortunately, to go against that, I'm going to pick Dirty Dennis, Rowan Dennis, um, because I think he rode his pace over the climb. He didn't try and follow that attack, whether he could or not. He rode back on, and his attack to win the stage was was very well thought out. Um, he waited for, you know, Jai to go, and then he hit over the top. It was, it was a really great ride, I think. Um, home ground advantage. That's my ride of the day. Let's move on to Nuff Nuff Move of the Day. I'll go first. My good friend, Betiol, gets it. Cramping first, and then cracking the shits and throwing his bottle. Who was he throwing that bottle at? Uh, apparently the cameraman. Apparently. Right. Fair enough. Very Chippo-esque. It's the same thing. No, that was a commissaire, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, <laughs> can't throw it at a commissaire. We'd be out of the race. Yours? Uh, probably the guy who gave Betiol a beer two days ago that made him <laughs> cramp today. Who was that? <laughs> the guy in the hat. This is Communique, we're here again after a massive stage today. Of course, I'm joined with Tom Southern, the Director Sportive of EF Easy Post. Southern, welcome. 
Just, uh, yep, thank you very much. Just wait for my beer here. Was, here it comes. I was uh, going to say, it's a bit of a dry argument. There we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a, been a tough day. Right, there we go. So, uh, you want me to kick off with a DS briefing for today, Mitch? Let's kick it off. What are you going to tell us, mate? Uh, very short stage, 116K. Um, not so much wind today, but the corkscrew climb at the end. As I said to you yesterday, I think the breakaway could make it if people get involved, but it didn't quite happen. That was your theory. I think more importantly, let's do the pub review. Yeah, it's crack. I've just been to the pub just to check out your Cooper's theory, and I counted 10. There is, but I didn't want to tell you that because it got quite confusing. Because the extra two, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, what they do is they brew a house beer for each pub. Ah, right. So the Metro has a Metro brewed beer by Cooper's, and they also brew a Cooper's Dry, I think it is, but the label looks pretty crap, so I just excluded those two. Piss week label. They were piss week. Yeah. yeah. Back to the uh, pub review. Today, I got up to the Colonist out in Norwood. Um, we went out of town on a bit of a journey because I was on my way to the finish. I stopped halfway. This is a really iconic pub, and the owners of this have started, if you're anyone here from Adelaide, you'd know the Booze Brothers. They've got the, the bottle shops around, and these guys started this pub an awesome pub, actually. Really cool interior. But Cooper's score, 2 out of 10. No Struggling. Good. No good. They've only got the pale and the mid-ale. The mild ale, sorry. Race vision, only after request. We got it. No good. Butchers, no butchers. Unbelievable. No butchers. Salt and vinegar chips, only red rock. Local legend, bum bow. Ah, mate, this is just a failure all around, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, look, but the interior went up a couple points because it was just such a cool pub, but obviously it lost so many points, so I had to rank it at a five. Tough day. Must we... have been a hard day for you, mate. You it was. Hands? It was. Because the pub was out of town, I didn't drink as many beers as normal, so it was good. Let's get onto the stage today. Norwood to Campbelltown, um, 116K, arguably the Queen stage. I don't know if you agree with that, Tom, of this year's TDU. Uh, I actually think the last stage is going to be the queen stage. I okay. think today was a bit of a amuse-bouche. Tough start with two category... There was three cat climbs today. It was a tough start with Norton Summit straight out of the blocks. A category two climb, 9K at 4%. Later in the day, they faced Checkers Hill, which I actually forgot. It was only 1K. 1K at 9%. No, 1K is 9%, but the K before that is 6%. So. <laughs> then the final climb, of course, Corkscrew, 2K at 9%. Um, the top was 6K to go. The race kicked off with our man, Mikel Henry. He was first to attack and the Asana rider joined him, Fabio Fellini. It was an easy start for the bunch. I wanted things to kick off on Norton Summit. I wanted it to be a hard start. These are the days that I fear so much and it didn't. The bunch cruised up there. I beat them this morning with my Strava. The bunch did 14 minutes. You are kidding me. I did 13 and a half minutes. You are kidding me. No. You were 30 seconds faster than the Get bunch. me back in the world tour. I'm going to tell the boys that tomorrow in the briefing. Seriously. I'll send you the file. Yumbo started chasing, um, and they were joined later by Alberson de Kunic, which for me was quite strange. We'll get into that later on. The sprints were pretty uncontested. Um, Groves picking up third, and the, obviously the two breakaways um, got the others, points, Fellini and Orne. 50k to go. They had a two-minute gap. At the top of the gorge, Corbin Strong crashes, where Frumi waits for him. Bahrain Victorious took control of the peloton, and as we hit the bottom of the corkscrew, AG2R were the first to take out the front and drive the pace of the peloton, setting it up for Ben O'Connor. It looked hard, but there was a lot of guys still there. Ultimately, 1K from the top, Rowan Dennis starts to lose contact with the bunch as UAE George Bennett was completely driving the peloton for Jay. Jay Vine, that is. And 600 metres to go from the top, 
If it wasn't fast enough already, Javon takes off. Close in his heels was Simon Yates. And then, amazingly, Bill Bauer just rides across this gap. I could not believe it. At the top, there was the three of them. They descended like a man, and I've just heard from Alan Davis that Bill Bauer is an absolute mad descender. So he told me Yatesy was struggling to stay on his wheel on that descent. I also heard that Yatesy was struggling to stay on Jay's wheel on the climb, despite what his face says. Ultimately, they came in. They went over the KOM, Vine, Yates, Bill Bauer. They went down, and the sprint was pretty uneventful. Bilbao hit out, Yatesy following in him, and Jay Vine just riding for the time. The results were that, respectively. And Matthews cleans up the bunch sprint at 28 seconds. It's quite a big gap for this race at this point of the race. I think, um, I mean, it was, a re- it, was, it, was, it was a real showdown. Jay Vine showed yesterday and today how good he is. But Bilbao is, is actually the rider in this race who's the highest ranked UCI points rider in the race. He's a super rider. And I noticed when they came here, Bahrain, Steve-O had them out every day doing serious training big camp taking things serious and uh yeah he got the results today but he's he's also super fast he won two stages of basque country last year against alaphilippe in bunch sprints so good win let's run through your day tell me what happens how was your day in the car but also we spoke about that breakaway you obviously put miguel up there but it didn't really play out as you'd hoped I'd pick this stage from a long way out as one where the brake could actually make it because of the length of the stage. And it doesn't take much to get the timing wrong and mistake it. I was hoping for a group of six to eight and Mikel went first. And I said, as he went over to Orton Summit, I'm like, just wait, 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 wait. More guys will come. And they didn't. No one was interested. It was 23 degrees. I always thought the tour down under was a bit muted because of the high temperatures, but nobody wanted to race. And there's teams here who just weren't interested and with two riders, it was going to be difficult. But Visma were happy for it to go. Mikel and um, Fellini were riding at sort of 60, 70 k's an hour with that tailwind uh, on the way out to the sprint. So they were rolling along nicely. Then uh, Alberson hopped on the front for... I, I, I don't think that they had read that there was a climb in the final of the stage. I think they made a mistake and read yesterday's stage profile for today. And uh, that was that, unfortunately. So a quiet day in the car, but a successful day. We were out there. We were aggressive. We're closing the mountains. So give it a go. Well, let's move on to ride of the day. Um, Tom, who was your ride of the day today? I'm going to go with Bill Bow. I know it, like, it's easy to pick the winner. He won the stage, yeah. It was a great ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but to come here as a non-Australian and be competitive, it means you, you've taken things seriously back in the Basque country in December, and you've gone out and you've done your homework and you've come here with serious intent to show that this race is as important as everything else in the world tour. And I really like that. I like him as a rider. He's a little bit little for me to really like him as a rider, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that. You mean in physical size? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Christophe Laporte's my top because he's so tall. All right. You like the big boys. Tall, tall riders. That's why uh, you're out, mate. <laughs> my ride of the day was Jay Vine seriously impressive I thought just the pace I can still feel the pace I haven't got to director's point where you forget how fast it was I can still see how fast they were going up there and to see him step off that again when a guy like George Bennett is lining it out and he goes again and riding for the riding for the GC he's confident he wants to win this well let's move on enough enough move of the day I didn't know what Alberson were doing today neither did I like they were riding for the intermediate for Caden to get points. I don't know. It just seemed weird that they were riding. And for me, I still don't understand it yet. Or were they riding to get um, 
over the climb? I don't, I don't know exactly. So I spoke to my I spoke to my riders. I mean, obviously we were affected by it because they it, they they were the ones who closed the gap to Mikel. And everybody in the peloton was asking what they were doing because, I mean, you only have to look at the race book to know that it's going to be hard for Caden Groves to stay there. Then, what's your enough enough move of the day? Uh, I mean, basically every team that isn't that didn't go in the breakaway that could have gone in the break and the stage could have stuck stuck today. Nobody pushed Visma early on. Nobody made it hard. I mean, UAE have got their thing and they did what they did. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, IKEA, Samsung's, they could have been in the break. Yeah, um, you know, there's plenty of teams that could have tried. And if you had six riders today, eight riders, it could have made it to the line. And I feel like with low temperatures, people have got a real chance to make this a different race. And if you just sit there and you don't take it, you're just going to go home with nothing. I mean, we've won a stage, we've had the jersey and blah, blah, blah. But other teams are time, to, you know, the clock's ticking. Did we get to the bottom of what happened with Betiol yesterday and the and the bottle and all that sort of stuff? Do you know the full story now? I mean, he, he cramped and he got upset. And Who was the bottle thrown at? A cameraman or just someone? It, it, it was a cameraman. And unfortunately, he's received an enormous fine from a UCI. Did he? So, uh, yeah, that's not worked out very well. That comes straight out of the prize money. Yeah. G'day everyone, welcome back. This is Communique and we've got a special guest tonight, apart from DS, Tom Southern, you know him from the other nights. Special guest we've got here tonight is Matt Goss. Um, if you don't know him, he's from Launceston, Tasmania, turned pro in 2007 with Saxo Bank at age 21. Back in those days, that was young. It seems old now, doesn't it? Mate, you look at these guys now. I was talking to a, a manager yesterday and they're, they're signing guys from under 17s like on contracts. I'm like, you're joking. And uh, he was known as a sprinter. He was pro for 10 years, and he most famously won Milan-San Remo, the Sprinters Classic, apparently, in 2011. Second at the World Championships in Copenhagen behind um, Mark Cavendish. Should have won that one, the one that got away. Yeah, I I, I went to um, functions for about 12 months after that, and every time they brought this up, and I think it's the smallest losing margin at a World Championships ever. So I was in front of right? I was in front of Cav about three or not three like two meters after the line. So yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks again, Mitch. We, 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 we bring it back. We bring it back. Uh, um, among other things, world champion on the track. He's ridden all the Grand Tours, nine in total, and he's won a couple of Giro stages as well. We can go through all the results later, but I just want to give you a bit of an introduction to the star that we've got here, the legend. But Tom, give us a bit of a DF, DS briefing for today, mate. Today was a day where. The main talking point this morning was the wind. Uh, huge wind today, up 25 to 40 k's an hour. Exposed roads all day. A, a really good chance that it was going to split. Tour down under doesn't really normally split up in the wind. When it does, it sort of comes back together because no one's really that keen on being in the gutter in January. But uh, this year it was, I mean, today it was on. So uh, all, all about the wind this morning. Should we get to the more important stuff? Pub review. Cumberland Arms Hotel right down there on Weymouth Street. These guys, great looking pub on the outside. I thought, oh, well, here we go. This is going to be perfect. Let's, let's run through how they did. Cooper's score, one out of 10. One, one out of eight, sorry, one Cooper's. Race vision after request. No butchers, no salt and vinegar chips, no local legend. Was it a pub? Had no soul this place. I was there with 
Alan Aquani, and he goes, mate, this place is lacking soul. I said, you hit the nail on the head, no soul. One out of ten. It's a real disappointing afternoon watching the race. Mate, you're going to need a you're gonna need a solid ten tomorrow to bring things around. Was there not a, another pub close by that you could have just walked down to and checked out? or <laughs> I could have, but I was committed. It was only 30k to go. I didn't have time to wait. If it's a one out of eight, you've got to think about your options. <laughs> I wanted to go to the Ale House here, but I thought that's just a bit too easy. They're going to at least get eight out of eight with the Coopers. Should we run through the race quickly? Stage four, as Tom said, a flat day. Port Wollonga to Wollonga Township, 133k. It was a really aggressive start. Some Even some small splits in the peloton. Um, but finally, two riders went free. Daryl Limpy and Jonas Ruch went away in the bake rate. Daryl from Israel, Jonas from um, EF. Team Australia, UAE and Alperson started chasing. And Jayco decided to go on the attack and split the bunch after 76k, second time through the Wollonga town, and it was on from there. There was a big crash, Taj Jones from Israel and Leonard Basso from Astana. Those guys went down in the crosswinds pretty hard. But ultimately, a front group formed where Jayco had six riders with Matthews, Ineos had six riders with Sheffield, UAE had five with Vine, EF had six, AG2R had five with Connor. And other names were there, Bill Bow, Schmidt, Ewan, Strong, Cockard, uh, Hinley was there too. The people who missed out today, Bauhaus, Groves, well, Alberson and Astana as well. Um, Honoré, he took the KOM points. You were telling me about it yesterday. You got the jersey. Yeah, so he's leading that now. I mean, I, th- I still think he has to win it tomorrow, but he's got um, he's got a slim lead. I don't think Jay Vine's interested um, in the jersey as much as he is in winning the race. So that's in our favour. He's off GC, so uh, I think it's an achievable goal for him tomorrow. The second sprint was on. Uh, the first sprint was just absorbed by the breakaway, and Matthews took out the third point. But the second sprint was on. Uh, Michael Hepburn took Yates, really nice lead out, but he was muscled out by Camille Gradek. Don't really know him. Um, and uh, 5K to go. Durbo did his last pull. UAE took over. The gap was about 40 seconds between the group. Caleb Ewan was at the front with 2k to go, but he got swamped completely out of position. Um, and it was a really chaotic sprint because of that headwind. And at 200 metres to go, Cockhart absolutely creams him in the sprint and goes early and just keeps pulling away. That's the, the summary of today, if you didn't see it. Gossie, you were right there. And you were just talking to me before about Cockhart, how impressed you were. Yeah, it is impressive, isn't it? Like, And what you say about Caleb and uh, Matthews is, is 100% right. Like, this is a... For a sprinter, this is one of the worst case scenarios for a sprint. It's slightly uphill. It's into a headwind. So if you're on the front, everyone's sitting easy behind. You know, Bling was in a not a bad position. He had an all right sprint. I don't think he quite had the legs today. But when you look at what Cockhart did, like you, you can't take anything away from that. That was phenomenal. Like he, he hit out early. And I was saying to Tom earlier, we, we timed his sprint. It's an 18-second sprint. So if you actually do that, by yourself, go out the road and have a crack. See how that feels after a stage that was so stressful, so hard, and so intense mentally and physically. You know that he's a deserving winner of that stage today. Give everyone a bit of perspective. You doing a lot of sprints over your career. How much would you normally sprint when you come off a lead-out guy? Ideal scenario: ten to twelve seconds. So when you think that's fifty percent more at your maximum, that's huge. That's massive. And like you're uphill into a headwind. And he made the call. He, he he had the opportunity. He committed. He went. And he came away with the flowers. Why have we not seen more of him over the last few years? He's so talented. And the, the French always are going on about him. He went to Pinot's team. And then he's 
he's, he's sort of come back again now. I don't know. I don't feel like we've seen the best of him over the last whatever. How, how long did you say? 10 years he's been pro? Yeah, 10 years he's been pro. I think his problem is that his peak generally runs until February, uh, which is poor timing, really. And the rest of the season's a little bit of a letdown. So last year he started super fast. Every year he starts really, really fast. And then he, uh, he peters off. Well, I remember in the tours uh, in 2011, 12, 13, like he was the next up and coming thing. Like he was, he was the French guy that, you know, the French love to pin hopes on somebody. And he was one of them. And he was always around the mark. But like you said, he, he just hasn't had those big wins. And like this is to be professional for 10 years as a sprinter and still be there after 10 years and not one world tour races and big races. If you're a sprinter and you're not performing, see you later. There's so much credit to him to keep... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's massive. I think it's, and I think he's, like I said, he's absolutely deserving. Well, Tom, tell us a little about your day in the car. How it was stressful crosswind day? Like, run us through what happens. Because Wollonga, I think Wollonga's found a new home. A crosswind day. How good is this? No hill, crosswinds. Bring me back to Tour Down Under. I mean, you've done this stage before when we've done the U-Bolt at the base where we finished so that there was a slight change but every year when we do that downhill whether or not there's wind the bunch splits and normally comes back together and like I said to the guys this morning 100% after that when you turn around you go down with a side wind it's going to break we knew exactly where it was going to be it was actually a really uh, nice day in the car for me because everybody made it I went came over the radio and said like where are we and in, in the middle of this crosswind and all this stuff, Jens came over the, as cool as a cucumber. It's like, yeah, we're all okay. And I was like, oh, okay, nothing to worry about. Did Scud have his headphones on during that meeting? <laughs> Scud's ready. It didn't work. <laughs> no, to be fair to Scud, he um, he did a, like a bit of a lead out for Mikkel to get the points for the KOM. And the KOM was just before you turned onto the downhill. Um, otherwise, he would have been there for sure. He's not enough enough of the day, is he? Come on, give me a breath. <laughs> oh, should we move to that? Well, let's talk about ride of the day then. Let's start with Gossi. Like I said, I I, I feel for it. Well, not feel for a guy. Like It's impressive to see a guy who has been a sprinter and after 10 years gets his first World Tour win. And the fashion he did, he committed, he went, he was gone early. And, you know, it's hard in sprinting sometimes to go early because you know that you probably haven't got the legs in you and you're just waiting for people to come over you. So to make that decision... And then finish it off like he did. He won by five or ten meters. You know that that for me was the ride of the day. Like, it has to be. I feel like he was still pulling away at the end. He wasn't slowing down. They weren't coming at him. He was just, as Albie said, he creamed him. I love it, Tom. I'd probably go with uh, giving it to Jaco as a team because Ooh. because they're the ones who made the action to split the race. The tour down under doesn't split like we said in, in crosswinds, and normally people kind of like it's all like, oh, let's just be there to make sure nothing happens instead of actually having the balls to go. Let's rip this race up, see what happens. Let's tear it up. We're going to blow the race apart, isolate people, see what we can do. Let's, let's make it a proper hard day instead of just rolling around. So I thought it was really cool. I hope it was good to spectate, but it, it is nice to see that. And, I, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of guys who came here in January and didn't really want to be in the gutter, and, but good on them. Tom? Yeah, it's a great point. I was just remembering, sorry, after, after the finish, the, like, I mean, our riders were quite happy. And Lucas Wisniewski said that he thinks that Every stage of the Tour de France one year should be a flat crosswind stage. See how that goes. That would be a cool one, though. Oh, I love that idea. But why only one? I mean, no, the whole 21 stages, all crosswind. Oh, one tour every whole, yeah. Three weeks, no climbs, crosswinds every day, three weeks. So, Qatar. <laughs> tour of Qatar. <laughs> we'll just have to call Mother Nature, see how she's feeling. <laughs> well, my ride of the day was Jens Kukulé, um taking... 
Alberto Betiol up for second place. And if you get a chance to watch this tonight, if you haven't noticed it, look what he does and look where they go. They weasel through the bunch and they go through some incredible holes. In the end, um, one was very close. Uh, the trek rider, I don't know who it was, but he unclipped as Betiol came past and touched him. But it's quite an amazing run they took. So have a look at that later if you haven't seen that. Should we move on to Nuff Nuff of the day? Sure. Well, I don't feel like I should go first, yeah. but... Oh, well, should we, should we set the standard? Or you want to go first? No, you, you set the standard because I think it's going to be pretty much in agreement for some well, well, some of it anyway. We were very confused yesterday what happened with Alberson. They were chasing on pretty hilly day and they took that, that sprint preem or did they even take it? They got third, I think. Today they started riding. All of a sudden when the crosswind happened, where were they all? Back with Scott. They must have the headphones <laughs> on. Alberson misses the whole front. There, get my enough enough move of the day. The best thing is Scott went up to them and said, are you a bit tired from yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I've been driving the guest car here with some VIPs and stuff around and I didn't actually see all of the race because we were in the car and we're driving, but I was sitting in the car and um, I heard the people from the Alpherson car say, oh, they're going to be in trouble. We're like, all seven are in the back room. And I was like, that's a rough day. Like, you don't want to have all seven ever in the back group. And I actually remember it was a stage of Willunga, I think it was Willunga anyway, about seven or eight years ago, there's something similar happened. It was a bit of a split. And the Italian teams, they all missed it. And I remember sitting there watching the director say, you're all riding home. So I'm surprised we didn't pass them on the way home, actually, because that's what happened 10 years ago. <laughs> if you missed it, on your bike. I love that. I love that's what Down Under used to be. I also heard a story about that years ago with our way out the back and, you know, Zabel and all those guys had to ride home. Um, we're not going to see that anymore, are we? No, I don't think you are. Like, you would not. Like, even when we first come to Down Under 15 years ago or more, we used to ride to the start. You'd ride home. It was a bit of a training race. Now, this is a world tour event. There's big points on the line. There's big responsibility for the riders. So you might be angry. You might be a little bit pissed that they've missed the, the move, but you're not going to jeopardise tomorrow's race for the points, for, for you know the new relegation system. It's just not worth it. I'm going to go with one. I heard a story about a guy who thought he was going to do the cool thing at the cafe and carry four coffees back to the uh, to the table and ended up dropping them all. Mitch, can you fill us in? Enough, enough. Uh, well, yeah, I was here this morning and there was a lot of people here and I thought, you know what? There's a lot of coffee cups around. I might just help, you know? I might, I might help Pat here and I'll take some cups in. I got the first load in. The next load, look, to my credit, someone did step in front of me. Oh, yeah, sure. But I could have saved it if I had some kind of hospitality skill. So if I've got two ho uh, hotels and restaurants, so <laughs> what you're saying is you don't want a job. <laughs> I do. So let's hope this I desperately well. want a job. <laughs> so I smashed the glass in there and ultimately trying to save them time, I made them do way more work in the busiest time. They're like, thanks, buddy. Thanks for the help. Um, what about you, Gossie? You pick up anyone? I'm just saying that, yeah, I think the alphas and stuff, like that. that's that's a bad day in the office. That's a bad day in the office. I, I also think Bahrain didn't do a smart thing by riding behind for Bauhaus because Bill Bauer's going to need their help tomorrow to try and uh, get ahead of Yates. And they basically spent all their pennies to bring a guy back who was debatable to win that sprint. So that's the real one. Good to see everyone. Everyone got a cold beer or a nice cold drink? I want to introduce you. Tom Southern flew home today, um, but we've had nice little guests along the way too. 
these are two of my good friends um, and also guys that I got to race against or with as well. To my right here is Sam Bewley. He is a uh, 35-year-old guy from Rotorua, New Zealand. Lives what in- an intro. Lives- 35-year-old guy. What, what, what do I refer to you as? Uh, Sam. Lives in Girona these days. Um, he was 13 years pro, nine grand tours, went to two Olympics, and now is currently a DS with Israel Premier Tech. He's fresh into it, first race, retired last year, and now straight back in the convoy as a DS. Welcome and this back. worked out well doing this show because the big pack-up's going on in the village at the moment, so I got to get out of that. And if you were here on the first day, um, Jens, he was here on the first day. We had a chat to him. He's actually a rider of EF, teammate of both Sam and I. Beforehand, we he is 34, 34 years old from Bruges, Belgium, in his 14th year as pro. He rode for Cofidus, Orica, Green Edge, where we were all together, Lotto, and he came back to, or came to EF. Um, he's known as a classic specialist, I think. Sixth in Roubaix, second in Gent-Wavelgum. Yenzi, welcome. Thanks for the intro, and uh, happy to be here. Well, we don't have the DS here to do the little briefing, but we've got another DS. It's good to have a bit more practice, actually, because I was sort of winging it a little bit this week, first time doing a DS, but today was a hard stage. So I said to the guys exactly that. I said, guys, look, we've uh, had a bit of bad luck the last couple of days. Our leader, Corbin Strong, crashed out. He was uh, looking good for a top five on GC, and we really believed that he was going to be able to do that. So I said, guys, we're going we're gonna to take this race on like we have all week. We're going to race like we, you know, we want to show ourselves like we have been. And we had Sebastian Berwick, who was... 17th on GC going into this stage, but only four seconds off the top 10. So we, we put our guys behind Seb. And we also gave Ka- Corbin the chance to have a crack at, at the stage win. So we said to them, uh, all, all, in, all in for Seb, all in for, for Corbin. Stay out of trouble. Save energy as much as you can, which is always pretty hard on a stage like today. Uh, but the guys did well. So less of a debrief and more um, less of a briefing and more of a debrief there, I suppose. Good day. Good start. I think everyone's waiting for the more important part, the pub review. Today's pub review... I had a few too many beers last night. I wasn't actually looking forward to doing the pub review today, but I pushed on, got there and did it. I went just down the road here to the Arab Steel on Hutt Street. Really good pub. The last one to close it out. Cooper's score, mid-range. They had four of the eight beers. They had the pale, the XPA, the mild, and the session. I was pretty impressed. The race vision, upon request, they put it on. But even better, upon second request, they turned the volume up. So I think they went up a point. They had butchers there. Salt and vinegar chips. Smith's, the only pub that's had it this week. I'm happy about that. And there was a local legend there, a classic local legend. Let's talk about the race. I'll quickly wrap up what happened today. And stage five, the final stage, only to Mount Lofty, 112k. Hard start up to the top of Mount Lofty and then three laps around finishing up Mount Lofty. Um, you know, they more or less did five ascents of the loft, of the Lofty climb. 2,000 metres of climbing. There was two sprints, two mountain comms. After a pretty crazy start, which would have been like hell for riders like myself. Um, lots of attacking. A group of four went off the front with Michael Matthews um, just before the sprint where he took that. And Matthews um, therefore pretty much wrapped up the sprint classification with that sprint. Finally, after 27k in, a 13-mean break went away with the closest on GC being Chris Hamilton at 5.30. EF started to chase. And the first lap up Lofty, the break at actually only 30 seconds. So like a really, really tough race today. At this point, there was actually a group out the back, which I wasn't surprised about. Um, and AG2R started to ride a little bit. Michael Hepburn up front from Jayco. He took the second intermediate. Pretty good ride by Heppy today, I thought. Um, with 28k to go, the break was caught as Ineos took up the front with a solid tempo. Um, 
the second last time up Lofty. He was really non-stopping all day. Yenzi, you can probably vouch for this. It proved to be a really hard attacking circuit, didn't it? I watched the race again when we got back to the hotel and uh, it's, it's strange. Like It didn't look that hard on television, but it was, it was on the whole day. Uh, you could actually see by how small the group was in the end. Uh, and everybody looked, yeah, looked pretty. I, I felt the legs definitely. It was a, it was a solid day. Well, with 15k to go, Quintanio from Quickstep, he just went away solo. Makes things look easy, that guy. Um, and 10k to go, he was brought back in, and that's when Durbo went on the front. I was surprised to see him there still. Amazing ride. With 7k to go, Yates he launched his final attack with 2k to go, and only O'Connor and Vine could go with him. Yates tried to ride, ride them pretty much out of the wheel. Then he attacked again, still no success. Jay Vine hit out, and then Yates, he was able to come back around him to take the stage victory. So a really great finish to the race, I thought. The stage results like Yates, Vine, O'Connor, there was a small gap back to the rest, um, and you know Jai Hindley was back there at six. You had Bill Bauer, he was back there at seventh. He lost about six seconds, but it looks like the podium is going to be, as we saw the days before, Jay Vine, Yates, Bill Bauer. It was, it was great. Well, how was your day, guys? Well, I thought that an interesting situation when you said that it was a good, good ride by Michael Hepburn. It was a good ride by Michael Hepburn, but I thought that it was a really bad situation for Jayco. When I was sitting in the car, and I could be wrong, it was a situation with a breakaway like that. It was a really, really good situation for UAE because if that breakaway went away and won the stage, the best guy at five minutes, like you say, unlikely they're going to win the stage by five minutes. Takes all the time bonuses out of the out of the race at the stage finish. But Jayco, to win the tour with Yatesy, they needed to get the time bonus and a gap on Jay Vine. So when he was in the breakaway, I thought, oh, this is not a good situation for Jayco. If they want to win the tour, they need to bring the breakaway back first. If they want to win the stage, they also need to bring the breakaway back. But as it turned out, other teams rode before Jayco, and Yatesy won the stage. So maybe I was wrong, but I think in, in that situation, I thought, yeah, no, this is a great situation for UAE and a bad situation for Jayco. I didn't think of it like that. That's a really good point and it makes a lot of sense. Why do you think Why do you think they would have sent Heppy out there? I mean, he wasn't just slipping into that break. No, it was a hard He was, sorry. He was actually. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's, he's slippery, isn't he, Heppy? Not really slip, slip, but like it was, everybody was a little bit on the limit and it was on that little kicker after Uredla. Three guys went, five guys went, four guys went, and he was like one of the last ones to go. He didn't really slip in, but the road was blocked and, and that was it. The brake was gone. Yeah, he, he did do the move to be in there, but yeah, he had to be there. Otherwise, mm. they didn't have anybody. Yenzi, run us through your day. Actually, what it was like in the bunch, you know, as the riders. How had your day paying out? It's it's pretty much like what you said. It, it was full gas from the start. Uh, we knew that first climb was going to be hard. Uh, you could feel it already in the in the neutral. I think there were two or three crashes before kilometer zero, so I was nervous. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I've been nervous the whole week, uh, but especially today and uh, the corkscrew stage it was was already nervous in the neutral. And then yeah, it was just full gas the whole day. Um, our goal in the team was to keep the mountains jersey. Uh, Mikel Amare was uh, was in the lead, and we actually only. Had to look out, look out for guys who were close uh, in the mountains uh, points, and luckily for us, that break that went, there was nobody in there close. And then in the end, our goal was to to get a good result with Sean Quinn. He got stuck behind that crash in the last two kilometers, but yeah, the day was just full gas the whole day. Let's go to ride of the day, Yenzi. You want to kick it off? Yep. Uh, I think mine's a pretty obvious one, Yatesy. Uh, if you see how he attacked that last one and a half k. He looked really strong, he looked really good, but then to finish it off as well, he knew that he had to keep on the pressure, but also to have that stage victory in your in your mind, like 
pretty smart the way he did it and and pretty strong i think uh yeah it's an obvious one what about you Bules? who's your ride of the day my ride of the day is actually a little bit i mean you could call it, call it bias because it's one of my teammate uh, one of my, my my riders and somebody that no one would have taken any notice of today but it's Taj jones he's an australian guy from up the the sunny coast a bit of a surfer dude great dude absolute legend he had a really really big crash yesterday came down I'm, i was surprised he actually finished yesterday's stage and he's heading back to Europe in a few days' time after the 11th race with the team. And today's his last day with his family. They're all here, mum, dad, girlfriend, sisters. And he was dropping the first climb, which, which didn't surprise me at all after the big crash he had yesterday. And he never got back to the bunch, didn't see the bunch again. So he was dropped after five or six kilometres today. And he carried on riding. And then at a certain point, which happens in, what happens in bike races, if you're so far behind the bunch that you're not going to make the time cut, the commissaires stop you and they take your numbers off your back. So you, you're DNF, essentially. Uh, so they did that with 20 kilometres to go. And he thought, you know what? I've come here. My family's here. I'm not going to see them anymore. I'm injured. I know that. But I want to finish this race. And although he got DNF on the, on, the, on the sheet, he finished the race. He rode out there by himself all the way to the finish line. So my rider day is Taj Jones. Nice. I was, I was thinking about Roubaix, and it's, I know you can't do it in every race, but especially Roubaix, I think they should get rid of the time limit on that because you don't want to be out there forever anyway, so you're going as hard as you can. Especially that race, you want to just finish, and they cut you out of the results. But there's a lot of guys out of time that just still ride to the end. My ride of the day was Brian Cockard. I think that his ride after yesterday, he's moved into top 10 now in GC. I didn't expect that. didn't know he could climb so well. Um, were you surprised that, Ian? Yeah, and uh, actually, what I was most surprised about yesterday, it's this was only his first World Tour win, so forty nine wins and not one World Tour, so pretty impressive. But we all know he's good, like uh, especially those finishes like yesterday. I would have said that the day was also a little bit too hard for him, but to see him up there uh, till so close uh, to the finish was uh, yeah pretty impressive. Enough, enough move of the day. What happened out there? Who was silly? Do you want me to, I'll, I'll go first this time. Mine was the group out the back. This goes back to the communique. So there's a group out the back. Rule UCI rule two blah 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 point eight whatever. Fa- failure to respect the instructions of the commissaire, and the riders all got five hundred Swiss Swiss franc fine. Fine. And I looked into it a bit deeper, doing a bit of research. Apparently, they jumped into the team car, did a lap, then jumped out of the team car, and the van, they just rode the van. There was the van. van. Yeah, there's so many of them. It was a van. Oh, it's a van, they yeah. They didn't all fit in the car. Cheeky. Couple on the roof racks, yeah. a few in the back seat. So they get my Nuff Nuff today. How about you, Bills? My Nuff Nuff was actually a sports director because, uh, yeah. to be honest, I didn't see... I, th- I think I saw a bike rider once today and it was when they were getting dropped. We were so far behind, we couldn't see anything from the bunch. Um, we had a debrief with the riders before and I just said, guys, I basically just make shit up. I don't know, I don't know where you're on the course. I don't know how far in front you are. I can't see anything. So... My nuff nuff of the day was Yushi Vaikinen, who's a ex professional rider. We, Mitch and I and, and Kooks raced a lot, a lot of years with him. He's the sports director of Fronte de Jure. I came around the right hand corner onto Mount Loffy on the last lap, three kilometres to go, and I saw a guy from Fronte de Jure with his shoulder, with his bike on his shoulder, running up the hill. And I thought, I mean, Froomey's in our team now, but it's not Froomey, like he did in Mont Ventoux that year. He's running up the hill with his bike on his shoulder. What the hell is going on here? 300 meters up the road is his team car. So his team car's been told, uh, de Jure, you have a puncher. They've driven straight past him. And then they've realized, oh shit, he's behind us. So they've pulled over and stopped because he can't go backwards. 
So he's had to put his bike on his shoulder and run up the hill. So UC Viking and Director of Frontier de Jure is enough tick of the day for me. Or enough, 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 sorry. Yeah, I spoke briefly about them already. The the enough enoughs who crashed in the neutral zone today. Like we all knew it was going to be nervous, but like some guys, they were jumping curves and like trying everything just to be in the front at kilometer zero. And then things like this just happened. So uh, yeah, I think there were two or three guys that came down. It was their own fault. You could see it. So they were my enough enoughs of the day. Any names? Uh, let's just throw someone <laughs> on the bus. Yeah. Just pick two uh, guys you don't like. Definitely a Trek guy in there. <laughs> Probably some Israel guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> Bloody Israel. Not even yeah, well to it. Yelling in the radio. Oh, guys, guys, get to the front. And, exactly. And causing stress. Well, there we have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed coming with me over to Tour Down Under and experiencing the race from the perspective of those guys and from my eye too. I hope you enjoyed the pub reviews. That's the best way to watch a race, down at the pub, drinking a cold beer. So it was really fun finding different pubs over there in Adelaide. If you haven't been to Tour Down Under before, I strongly urge you to get across there one year. It is such a good vibe in Adelaide for the whole week. I was mainly down at the Rafa pop-up all week. It was awesome over there. I had a great time recording those episodes with pretty much my old mates. A big thanks has got to go out to Will Jones who's piecing these episodes together at the moment. I'm giving him so much audio that he's got to try and fit together for you guys to make a nice story. Meg behind the scenes who's really helping me out getting these episodes up as well. Our proud partner Rafra, great to have them on board for Talking Wolf this year too. And of course you guys for listening. Next week, we're back with a Life in the Peloton episode, and I have got a really special episode for you. If you heard him last year, Andre Lagersh, the cardiologist, it was a fantastic episode, finding out what is going on with our hearts. He is the cardiologist that used to test me before I went across and raced every year for the UCI testing. And I asked the question to him last year, what's going to happen 12 months on? Well, I've been back in the lab, and I've done some testing, and I'm going to bring you that episode next week. Guys, until then, thanks for listening, and it's great to be back up and rolling. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.